Today we are studying the parasha of Kitavo, but we still have a lot of Kitetzeh left. So let me uh, review what happens at the end of Kitetzeh. Chapter 25. The mitzvah that we were up to. 25, chapter 25, lashes. Uh, we did, no, we, we did, um, we did, okay, so there's the mitzvah of the lashes, uh, the the idea here is you cannot do more than 40 lashes under any circumstances. Actually, the Chachamim say it's actually 39. 40 is a round number. And uh, it's a very interesting idea that you cannot, because the reason it gives for not giving 39 lashes is v'nikla achicha le'aynecha that your brother will be dishonored before you. So, there are a couple of things that are interesting about that. One is that the Chachamim point out a very interesting thing. It starts off by saying, this person, why is he getting lashes? Because he was wrong. So he was like a rasha, quote-unquote. Right? The, the Pasuk says he's, uh, they took the rasha and they bend him over and they strike him. But then it says, do not strike him too many times lest your brother be dishonored before you. So what does that show you? That once the person gets his punishment, he's already our brother. Okay, so that's a very interesting thing that the Chachamim point out, that the second the person gets his punishment, he's our brother. So we can't, uh, you know, you have to make sure. Now once you overdo it, it's essentially like you're attacking your brother for no reason. Uh, no, I'm, that's, I'm going the other way. No, I'm saying... If, yeah, I'll read it for once you. Once you've done the, the 39 lashes, you have to care about him like your brother. It seems to me that the message is like, there's a limit of how many lashes. If you go beyond that, your brother's behavior from the Jews are... Diminished. Are diminished. diminished. Yes, so that's the idea. The idea is the court is limited with the kind of punishment it's allowed. Now... For us, it's like, uh, okay, sure, the Torah is saying this. But in the context of those times, it's a very big deal. Like the Romans, they would take people and they would put them in the Colosseum and they would watch them get mauled by a lion. And that was, for them, entertainment. But for us, if the court, if the human in court gives one more lash than he's allowed to, that's a sin on the person who's giving the lashes. Because that's degrading. So the competing cultures... They took pleasure in watching people get degraded and beaten and eaten alive. And the Torah is saying, don't even give one extra lash and you're allowed to because then he's going to be dishonored. So we, as Jewish people, never took joy in the suffering and the pain of other, of other people. And you think it's, uh, obviously, but, it's, but you, you take it for granted. Because that was one of the common sports and enjoyments of the time. And people would watch each other get beaten up. Yeah. There is something like that, but I don't. If you look in Gemara Makot, I don't. I don't know the details. Okay, then uh, you cannot muzzle an ox while it's treading out its food. So while uh, while you're having the ox work for you, you can't muzzle it. Why? Why would this be a problem? Why shouldn't you muzzle an ox while it's working for you? Because the ox wants to grab a bite of food in the course of its of its work, 
And by muzzling it, you're basically causing it to suffer. You're making it work while it can't eat anything. This is very similar to the law that we studied yesterday, which is if you're working for someone in the field, you're allowed to eat you know, a grape here or a grape there. While you're working, you just can't put it in your basket. Okay. The next is the law of Yibum. Um, what, what's the idea of Yibum? The Yibum is, let's say, in those times, let's say a brother is married and the brother dies without children. The other brother shall take the wife of the first brother in order to continue the line of the brother so that his line doesn't... This was a service to the brother, to the dead brother, to the deceased so that they can have a line of children in their name. You name the child based on the first brother. Now, if the brother does not want to fulfill this mitzvah, if the living brother does not want to fulfill this mitzvah, then there's a process called chalitza, in which uh, they, they have this whole process that you take the shoe, she spits in the shoe, and then she has to announce that this is the brother who did not want to keep alive the, the line of his brother. Now, in the... In the, halach, in, the, in the psukim, you don't see the woman saying, I don't want to marry him. I mean, I like the first brother, not the second brother. No, but no, because in those days, there's no such thing. Why would she not want to marry him? She's about to become a widow. She's young. She's young, and she doesn't have money. So of course she wants to marry him. It's another example of in the Torah, the, the, the concept of marriage that we're dealing with when we're reading the Torah, you have to understand it's what it is. It's, it's, secure, it's financial security. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so a brother passes away, his brother takes off, takes over, and continues the line of the brother. Yeah. I'm sure there are some, God forbid, and it may be far from him, but I'm sure that there's a brother that is going to say, hey, What about my line? Is, this a, is there even a context there? Or, no? or the line of him is going to Do You, you want to hear something interesting? you're actually pointing out one of the stories we studied in, in Bereshit. There was a case that we saw of Bereshit in which brothers were expected to do Yibum and they said, ah, this is not going to be considered my line anyways. So I'm... Yes, yes. It's the sons of Yehuda. Yes, yes. What does the Pasuk say? Yes. Um, he, say he said... Uh, um, that's the pasuk. He said, and Onan saw that the descendants would not be called in his line. They would not be designated as being his. So whenever he came to being with the, the wife of his brother, he didn't, uh, he didn't allow himself to, you know, to impregnate her. So, so, yes, there is a concern. And that would be if the person marries the woman and then does that, the Chachamim say that's why the, the sons of Yudah died. That was their sin. Because they did not care for their brother. So is the concern alleviated by the fact that, okay, you can marry Yudah at those times, you marry more than one? Yeah, the concern is alleviated by the fact that you marry more than one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not... It's Maybe not, this isn't to wife. the exclusion Maybe. of the first, yeah, the person already has a wife. Maybe already has a wife and children. Yeah, this is, the, the, this is not a case of, oh, now I have to marry only the brothers. But in that case, what was so bad is Onan, um, he, he could have married a second wife. Meaning, this was purely a case of Yehuda's son of not caring for his brother's yeah, line. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Every okay. Child, every child 
Why? Every child that is born becomes a line of the older deceased brother, or is the first child, and then everything else remains his line? I don't know. Good question. No, yeah, you could, if you want, that, that's a, a question for Mishnayot. Study Mishnayot Yevamot, and you can get back to me. It's Mishnah Nibum. There are, there are Mishnayot that talk about all the laws of these things. We're studying a high-level uh, Torah thing right now, so we're not going into the details of the law. All right, next. If a woman were to... All right, this is the law of basically uh, um, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of thing, that if a woman or anybody were to cause physical damage to a person, then they're obligated to pay the monetary value of whatever damage they caused. How I'm, I'm uh, determining that based on the psukim, that you can leave for another time. But uh, the, the actual pasuk says, if the, if the woman, let's say the story is like this, two men are getting in a fight. The wife is watching and she wants to protect her husband. So she hurts the man who's fighting her husband in a place, in an inappropriate place. So, um, the Pasuk says, you have to cut off her hand. Now, that's not the Pesha, meaning that's not, the Torah isn't saying cut off her hand. It's saying you have to charge her a monetary fine. Based on if, if you would have... Yeah, and there, there's a lot going on here. Uh, let's see. Here, I'll just read you the note here. The rabbis commuted this service penalty into a money fine, varying in accordance with the status of the culprit and the victim. There's no case of mutilation in the Torah. We don't mutilate people in the Torah. So this is, uh, this is the understanding of these psukim. Okay, next. You shall not have in your pocket a big stone and a small stone. You shall not have two measurements for the ifa. Or you shall not have uh, uh, a big ifa and a small ifa. Rather, you should have a very clean stone and you should have one ifa, so that you'll live long in the land that God gives you because anybody who does this, it is disgusting to God. What is there for? What are these stones? Weights. Yeah, these are weights, exactly. So let's say you take, you have two stones in your pocket. One is heavy, one is light. When you're buying something... You use the, you use the heavy one. You, no, you well, use the light, light one. Light. You use the light one. Okay? You, put, you put the light one on the scale and you say, ah... Oh, this thing, I'm not, this isn't, I'm not buying so much wheat here, so let's, uh, I'm going to pay you less. But whenever you're selling, you take the big stone and you use that for your weight. Okay, so that would be Asura, obviously. Who went digital? Wait. <laughs> well, it's a business uh, thing. Oh, 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 oh. Right, it, it's like a, this is like a typical in every business, right? You always, also like um, also for dieting you know, dieting you wish that you know, the weight goes down not that it goes up <laughs> sure sure but that this is, this is a very simple halakha that you cannot uh, modify the scales and the thing you have to be very very precise in your business dealings and what's the what's the the reward if you do this yeah it's interesting that, that's one of the things I always point out people make a big deal out of the long life for Shiloh HaKen or for Kibbutz uh, Avayim but there are other mitzvot that have a long life like one of them is uh, having a, a, the proper measurements for business being honest in business which is this mitzvah long life why does nobody talk about this one 
Okay? Good. Next is the mitzvah to eradicate Amalek. Okay? So what's the idea? So the basic question we have about eradicating Amalek, the classic question is, why for Amalek do we destroy them, but for Egypt we have to show that we love them? So yeah, but, but they also made us suffer. And Amalek just... Amalek Egypt sent us off with gifts. Amalek came from behind and went... You want to hear an interesting uh, note, by the way? Did you notice what happens when a Jewish... When a Jew frees his slave? What is the mitzvah? To give him plenty of gifts. You have to give the Jew... You have to give the Jew that you're freeing... You have to give him gifts. Yes. As, as a parting gift. We said last week, it's a form of... Uh, of what's it called? We said... I forgot the word last week also. Severance. That you, I think you're the one who helped me with that word also. It's a form of severance, right? For any slave that the Jewish person holds, we have a form of severance that's built into the system. How does it, what does that remind you of? When we, went out of Egypt. when we left out of Egypt, they did the same thing. So now we understand where we got, where do we get this mitzvah from? From ourselves. We said when we left Egypt and we were slaves, we left with a lot of wealth. That was good. It helped us start our lives. That's what that wealth was for. We were taking it to start our lives. So when we free our own slaves, we're also going to give them a gift to help them start their lives. So now, why did I say that? I don't know. But what, what is the idea? Why is Amalek to be destroyed, but Egypt to be loved? So the answer is very interesting. I heard a fascinating answer. What was the reason Egypt wanted to destroy, to destroy Am Israel? Because they were scared for themselves. If you remember Paro's uh, response, Paro's reasoning was, um, when they become many upon us, they're going to join with our enemies, and we will be kicked out of the land. So when Mitzrayim was causing pain to Israel, why were they doing it? Because they were scared for themselves. But Amalek, we are minding our own business in the desert, and all of a sudden they decide to just attack us. And they're the first ones to attack us. No reason. No reason. For no reason. There is, the hatred is baseless. It's very similar to like the hatred we see in the world in the UN today. And it doesn't make any sense. For Mitzrayim, we understand why they were scared of us. We understand why they treated us that way. So we forgive. But whenever the hatred just stems from pure hatred, when it's a UN style hatred, that there's no reason, then you destroy it. Then you know the germ, it's coming from a very bad place. If you see a UN diplomat, if you see, you know, you know, whenever you see the, the UN cars parked in the places that nobody else is allowed to park for some reason, you know, you always see that, like there are 4,000 parking spots in the city that are off limits, and the, the only cars, so you're allowed to slash the tire. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, I don't know, I don't know if that would be the biggest avon, because these people are auto shine. All right, so, uh, we, sorry, we did not start Parashat Kitavo, so I guess that will do. At least we finished Kitetze. Okay, so we'll start Parashat Kitavo. We look forward to Sunday morning.